Lord Jesus, I just thank you for Graham. I thank you that he is your faithful servant and that he would have focused so much on hearing what you wanted to say to us this morning. And I just pray that you would fill him up with your Holy Spirit now, Lord Jesus, and that he would feel your presence close to him and that you, you would recall to him everything that you want him to say. And I just pray that you would bless him and bless us as we hear his, you, the word today. Amen. Good morning. I feel like we've met before. But, um, so, yeah, somewhere. So, um, what, we were, what we've been talking about as a church together on a Sunday morning since uh, the beginning of September, we've been doing a series where we've been looking at uh, what the Bible tells us about God. And uh, we talk about God, as I'm sure you heard at the baptisms, about God as a Father, Jesus, who's the incarnation of God, and then the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that we, we are due to talk about, just to finish the series, and it is because it's Christmas, that we talk about Jesus being God incarnate. Uh, now, very, very posh theologians call the coming of Jesus the incarnation. Uh, we're just not that posh, uh, so we just say that God comes as Jesus, uh, and we can see Him. Now, that's an interesting thing. One of the things that's interesting in Britain, for example, is there are a large number of people who say that they do not believe that Jesus even existed at all, which is an interesting sort of statement. One of the interesting things, and it is one of the things that we look at in Alpha, but it, it is an interesting thing that actually the evidence for Jesus as a person is enormous and considerably more reliable than lots of other historical characters. So, for example, there's 10, 20 times more evidence which dates more accurately than there is for the existence of, say, Julius Caesar. Though, interestingly enough, people don't say that they don't believe Julius Caesar ever existed. And one of the interesting things is that people can say, well, the existence of Julius Caesar, for example, you know, can be evidenced with old coins and things like that. It's interesting when we look at the existence of Jesus Christ and we look round at the world and the history of the world and say, I wonder where the evidence is that Jesus ever existed. And of course, the reality is that Jesus has had this massive, massive, massive impact on the world. So the documentary evidence is enormous that Jesus as a person existed. But was Jesus God incarnate? Was Jesus God incarnate? And that's quite an important question because the question means this. Did God come as a person, not like you and I, but as a person, in human form, but as a person, and live among us? And that's an enormous claim. Let's be honest, that's an enormous claim. But Jesus certainly said that. And that's a remarkable thing. It's one thing to stand up and say, yes, that's who I am. 
It's another thing entirely to say that in a culture where to say that pretty well means that you're going to be executed immediately, which was in fact the case for Jesus. And indeed, there were people who were very keen on executing Jesus. And as you might know, historically, eventually they got round to it too, and Jesus was executed. And one of the key reasons why Jewish people wanted to execute Jesus was because he said he was the Son of God. He was, he was God's Son. But Jesus said this, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. Father meaning God Himself. Jesus said this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now we read from this passage, which is one of, one of Jesus' followers, somebody who knew Jesus personally, who said this, the same that because we met Jesus, we knew we'd met God, which is remarkable. Now, these are people, for example, who were there at the crucifixion. So, John, who wrote this, he was present at the crucifixion. He was also there when he discovered that Jesus was no longer dead, and he saw Jesus after His resurrection. Now, if he'd been making this up, you would imagine that after a while, when things got a bit hot, you'd kind of retract your story, wouldn't you? But 40, 50 years later, there is John facing execution, still saying the same thing, that he had seen the risen Jesus. What John tells us is that if we put our faith in Jesus, not only can we know that God is there, but more than that, we can be counted as children of God. And that really is something, isn't it? But here's a question. Why? Why would Jesus come? Why would God come into the world in the first place? And you'd be amazed what people say about that. You know, to teach us how to live, uh, to spread a message, all sorts of things. But the reason that Jesus came was this. It was to start something new. It was to make a change. We have a belief in our culture, and it's not a new one. And it works like this. If we're all really, really, really good and nice to each other, then our whole society will work. And that sounds like a good theory, doesn't it? So far, humankind has been trying to make that theory work for about 6,000 years. How are we doing? How's it going so far? One of the things that God knew was that humankind is not the answer to humankind. In fact, it's interesting that as the population gets bigger, so the number of armed conflicts increases. As the population gets bigger, so the impact on the planet increases. That the more we understand about how nature works, the more effective we've been at destroying it. Humankind has been trying to make the planet work for it for about 6,000 years, since the beginning of civilization. And so far, it's not going at all well. Let's be honest. 
it's not going great. In fact, even on our own personal journey, I will get up in the morning and aspire to be universally nice to everybody that I encounter until I go to bed just for that day. Now, you've probably seen that on the basis of being Scottish, that's a large claim, especially given where I live. But anyway, the, the point being, I manage it. I manage it through porridge. And as long as I don't meet anybody till I've had a decent amount of coffee and I get out, but all it takes, seriously, and maybe this is you, but it's certainly me, all it takes is just one idiot driver. <laughs> and humankind's plan disintegrates. When I say an idiot driver, Potentially, that's sort of three miles an hour below the speed limit when I'm in a hurry and I'm being held up. You see, the other side of this is it isn't actually about other people, this. It is about my innate capacity to be utterly unreasonable. And I have developed that gift over many, many years. Now, I know all of you never, ever are unreasonable in your ire towards anybody else. But I'm afraid I am the fault here uh, in the planet and many others. And there is our problem, however, is historically human beings have never managed to get the world to work. Never. Essentially, our pattern runs like this. We have, we have an empire, and an empire basically organizes people to follow a certain way. Not always there. It always has winners and losers. Then the empire collapses and there's a huge chaos as everybody goes off and does their own things, armed conflicts, war. Eventually, humankind, or in the known world, will resolve itself back into some other kind of empire, which has winners and losers and so on. And then it dissolves back down again and so on and so on. And we, we see this going through history. We, we know. We had, a, we had a system within Europe which was based on, uh, you know, a sort of a social hierarchy. Uh, in Victorian times, it began to come to a head as it industrialized, and then we had this massive conflict, and everything fell apart, and the social order rechanged. And what we've seen since then is that, that we've reformed. We're now reforming as a, as a culture on a sort of global culture. But eventually, that is in itself will similarly break down. That's the pattern of humankind. And why is it? Because humankind is failed. But this is what God knows. God knows that the solution is not in system. It's not in political system. It's not in that. The solution to the problem with human beings is in here. And no amount of organizing actually ever fixes human beings. So God came as Jesus to make that change, to make that change, that we might be something different. And that's why Jesus came. The Bible tells us this, 
that human beings find themselves, whether they're aware of it or not, in a spiritual battle. Now, modern sort of media often makes this into a sort of comedy thing. You know what I mean with the sort of devil and the angel and so on. But actually, the reality is we all know that conflict. We all live in that conflict. We find ourselves drawn towards things that we know are only actually going to cause harm, but we still want to do them. And we still find ourselves giving into it. There is a spiritual battle. But the Bible tells us this, that Jesus came into the world, and it says this, Jesus came into the world to defeat the work of the evil one. And the way that that's done is one person at a time. One person at a time. Not en masse, but one person at a time. Now, when John wrote what he wrote that we heard today, he wrote that as a changed person. He'd given up his old life, and he'd become somebody radically new. He didn't live within the world system at the time, the Roman system at the time, but was in fact seen as somebody who was a threat to the Roman Empire, even though he was just a, an ordinary person. He was changed because he met Jesus, and that was exciting. And the idea that somebody who lived 2,000 years ago can change lives today seems strange. Because it's, we, we didn't hear anything about philosophies. We didn't hear anything about teaching. What we heard about was faith. You see, Jesus didn't come to give us a new way to behave. Jesus came to give us a new identity, to give us a way in which we could alter the way that we live from the inside out, from the inside out, not from the outside, but from the inside out. That was the big change. And what you can see is this, that when Jesus rose from the dead, the only person ever to come back from the dead, it sounds like an incredible claim. But the evidence is this, 2,000 years later, people are still claiming to have met him, not to have read his books he never wrote any books. Not to listen to his speeches, because none of them are recorded. Not to get involved in the political system that he set up, because Jesus actually didn't set up any political systems. Sadly, some rather dodgy political systems have been set up in his name, but they weren't his. The reason that people are changed is because they meet Jesus. I, I mean what I say, they meet Jesus because Jesus is alive and He is still impacting people's lives today. It is a ridiculous idea that somebody should pluck up the courage and dunk themselves in a bath of water in front of their friends and family. I mean, why would you do that? 
Honestly, why would you do that? And the reason is this. So that you and I know that before they ever got here, Jesus has changed them. They have gone from being old to new. Now, here's the interesting thing. We've heard a lot today about the journey. We're on a journey. There's a lot of people who say, well, the trouble with Christians is they think they're perfect. Okay, hands up the perfect Christians here. I just want to point out this. Christians don't think they're perfect. In fact, it's the opposite. We don't become Christians because we think we're perfect. We become Christians because we know we're not. We become Christians because we know we are the problem. What's the problem with the world? Me. I am. But there are a lot of people out there like me. You are some of the few amazingly perfect people I've ever met. If you go out there, you'll find they're all irritating. Honestly, it's terrible. They're, They're like me. I've become a Christian because I know that I am flawed. And I do. I'm not saying that for sure, ladies and gentlemen. I know. I know I need to be put right inside. But praise God, Jesus does that. And then all the things that I carry around because I do not, because I know that I'm not right, all the things I carry around because I know I'm not right, my regrets, my feelings of guilt, my sense of failure at times. Sometimes that feeling when I mix with other people that, you know, if only they knew what I was really like, they maybe wouldn't be quite so friendly to me. And all those, all those insecure feelings, they all come from me knowing what is wrong with me. But Jesus, Jesus came and actually paid for all of that so that He has the power to forgive what I've done so that I no longer need to carry that around. What I find is immediately that Jesus does that, I don't instantly, miraculously become a better person. I then find that I have to work on that. What I'm good at with other Christians is I'm good at helping them to see what they need to work on. I've found that I'm particularly skilled at that. But really, that's not the solution. That's the old self. Remember, the problem is on the inside, not on the outside, and that's what Jesus came to change. So Jesus came incarnate. We're, we're remembering that Jesus came into poverty to an unmarried mother as a, as a, 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 a um, oppressed person in an occupied country who spent his early years as a refugee and then lived in in absolute working-class poverty in an, an obscure village. He didn't have an easy life. His dad probably died when he was quite young. His mom had to bring up at least four children, probably more, as a widow. They didn't have a lot. They had a rough life. Jesus lived a life like people who have a rough life. 
But he never gave in to any of the things that we give in to when life goes hard for us. He didn't get bitter. He didn't get angry. He didn't get defensive. He didn't get insecure. He managed to live as God designed us to live, the, the way that none of us actually manage. And so he was the last person that deserved to die. He was the only person that didn't deserve. And yet he died for us. Not as a baby, but as a self-determining adult who knowingly sacrificed to put what's wrong inside me right. And that's why I trust him, and that's why I love him, and that's why I still try to let him have his way changing me from what I shouldn't be. And it's a fantastic life, ladies and gentlemen, I've got to tell you. A lot of people say that being a Christian is a boring thing. There's a big long list of what you can't do. But I want to tell you, it's the opposite. It's the most amazing adventure. It's the most amazing adventure. That you go from just only being able to have what everybody else has, and once you've got that, what's your option? Well, more. And after that, more. Well, you, you know, by the, I don't know, by the time you're sort of 23, 24, you're kind of on your second cycle, aren't you, really, by then? It's, being a Christian is a much more exciting adventure than that. It's taken me all sorts of places, put me in all sorts of situations, not because I choose to do, but because Jesus does change our lives. So, ladies and gentlemen, what I want to say to you is what you've seen is people witness that Jesus changes us from the inside out. We are not perfect. We are flawed human beings. We are what's wrong with the world. But Jesus came to put us right. He might have appeared as a baby, but Jesus is not just for Christmas. Jesus is for your whole life. Amen.